<laughs> Thank you, Sandy. <laughs> you did lighten it up. <laughs> Sandy is so much fun. She told me she was going to have a little fun with me, and I said, what kind of fun are you talking about? <laughs> I like fun, but I like fun fun, so that was fun. <laughs> I, I can remember standing up here seven years ago and sharing with, probably many of you were here, um, our journey of how God brought us from Canada down to faith. And I remember looking out at a sea of unfamiliar faces. And now it's just fun. I look out and I see familiar faces and friends and even the best daughter-in-law in the world. My favorite daughter-in-law is here tonight. <laughs> I really thought a lot about what I could say about my... But I won't do that. <laughs> She's back there looking at me like, I will get you. So. But it is fun to have a daughter-in-law that I can truly say I absolutely love my daughter-in-law. She's just like a daughter to me. So... I was reading through Romans, um, maybe last April, and I came to Romans 12, and I texted a friend and said, if I could just live Romans 12, if there was one chapter in the Bible that I wish I could just portray and be, it would be Romans 12. And so tonight I want to talk a little bit about Romans 12. We're just going to do the first two verses. But first of all, before you, you've probably already gone there, sorry about that. We're going to go to Romans 1 and read verses 16 and 17. Paul wrote the book of Romans, and it's a, a, a deep doctrinal book with lots of beautiful doctrine in it. And so he starts out the book talking about himself and how he was called, and then he gets to verse 16 and 17. Let's actually start in verse 15. He says, so as much as is in me, after he talked about his introduction, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is, is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray before we start. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, your word, and I thank you for these um, truths and Romans that you've uh, given to us. I pray that as we work our way through verses 1 and 2, that you would challenge us and convict us, but, oh God, that we'd be encouraged by your love and your mercy as well. Thank you that you are a loving God. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. God, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to be your child and for the uh, joy it is to serve you. I pray that you'd bless us tonight with your presence and that we would be open and ready for whatever you would have for us tonight. And we pray this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. So Paul starts out in Romans saying, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He said, I'm, I'm going to stand up and bold, and I'm just going to say it like it is. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power unto salvation. Then he takes about 10 chapters, and he works his way through. He talks about God's wrath, and he talks about divine judgment, and he talks about um, the payment for sin and the propitiation and justification. And then he gets to Romans 12, and he's going to make a, he's going to give a command 
but he's going to base this command on something. He gives us this whole world view, this whole reason for existence, what God did for us. And then he comes to Romans 12, and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, he's talking to Christians. He's begging them. He's beseeching them. He's coming alongside them saying, this is what you need to do. But before he gives you what you need to do, he's going to give you why you should do it. He's going to give you the basis of his appeal. Sometimes my kids would come to me and say, Mom, do you love me? And I can picture my little brown-eyed Timmy. He always said these sparkling brown eyes. Mom, do you love me? And when I'd say, Tim, you know I love you. Well, then can I? Whatever it was. <laughs> and that was his basis, because you love me. And this is kind of like that. Paul's going to give you a command, and he's going to give you the basis for the command. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. This is his earnest appeal. This is why he's going to give you the command based on the mercies of God. Now, if you go back to Romans 9, verse 15, he talks about mercy. For he says to God, I will have, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever will I have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Verse 16 talks about mercy. Verse 18 talks about mercy. Verse 23 talks about mercy. Chapter 11, verse 30 talks about mercy. Chapter 11, verse 31 talks about mercy. Chapter 11, verse 32 talks about mercy. It's interesting that when he gave a basis for why you should, what he, the command he's going to give you next, which you probably already know what it is, it's interesting to me that when he said that based on God's mercies, this is why you should obey this command, why didn't he say based on God's wrath? I mean, the terror of God, the wrath of God, that's a pretty important thing, or God's divine judgment. I just find it interesting that he said, I beseech you, therefore, based on this principle of God's mercies, this is why you should surrender your life. Jim's been reading through a... Um, book in the morning sometimes called New Morning Mercies, and one day when I was sitting in the living room, I saw it, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to open it up today and read what today's is in there. Here's, here's just the way God works. August 14th, the little thing at the top says, could there be a greater consolation known to man than these six hope-giving words, his mercies are new every morning? So I'm going to read a little, a few sentences, and I know when you read, you tend to lose people, so hang with me here. Mercy is the theme of God's story. Mercy is the thread that runs through all of Scripture. Mercy is the reason for Jesus' coming. Mercy is what your desperate heart needs. Mercy is the healer your relationships need. Mercy is what gives you comfort and weakness and hope in times of trial. Mercy can do what the law is powerless to do. Mercy not only meets you in your struggle, but guarantees that someday your struggle will end. If God offered us only justice, would we run to him? It is the knowledge of his mercy that makes us honestly face ourselves and gladly run to him. And it is mercy, his mercy that we will sing about and celebrate a million years into eternity. Lamentations 3, you know the verses. The steadfast, of the Lord never, steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And he says, let these words sink in. If you are God's child, they describe your identity and your hope. 
They give you reason to get up in the morning and to continue. They enable you to face and admit how messed up you really are. Then they allow you to extend mercy to the failing people around you. God knows who you are, what you are, and what you're facing. And in the majestic combination of divine knowledge and power and compassion, he meets you with just the right mercies for the moment. I just looked at that and I thought, wow. It's hard to get a grasp of God's mercy. It's hard to get a grasp of what he did. And I think it's because we don't have a big view of God. When we get a big view of God, we realize, whoa, he came down a long ways to stoop down to me, right? Um, there was a guy speaking in the seminary on Wednesday, and he talked about the James Webb telescope. Has anybody ever heard of that? Well, apparently it just replaced the Hubble telescope. And this telescope can see things that the Hubble one could never do. And he said, this guy was 82, and he said, when he was young, they told us there's hundreds of galaxies out there. And then they began to find out more, and they said, no, there's thousands of galaxies out there. And then they explored more, and they found out more. They had more technology. I said, wait, there's millions of galaxies out there. And I can remember reading online that this astrophysicist said that experts kind of disagree, but there's somewhere between 1 billion and 2 billion. That's a big gap. <laughs> Galaxies out there. And this new telescope says, mm, we were wrong. There's actually trillions of galaxies out there. And how many stars in each galaxy? and God knows them all by name. That's the bigness of He says, what do you do with a God like that? You fall down and worship him, that's what you do. And that great big God of the universe stooped down in mercy to die for me. And when I get a grasp of that, it chokes you up. Why me? I have neighbors on both sides of me that do not know the Lord. And if Jesus came back tonight, they would burn in hell forever. And I get to be saved. I get God's mercies, and I get them every single day. And you do too. So Paul says, based on these mercies, I have a command for you. But this command isn't going to be grievous because we're like, God is merciful. Here's the command. Present your body. If you don't get a grip on his mercies, you will not do this. This will not be something you'll do. This older gentleman said, I just hate that song, I Surrender All. It's like, oh, dragging and kicking to the altar. He said, we should run to a God like this. And he's right. So present your body, he says, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice and then we're going to talk about each word after that, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. But he says to present your bodies. Now, we know in the Old Testament, a sacrifice had to be perfect. And we look at our bodies and we're like, well, they're not perfect. But this is a different kind of sacrifice. That sacrifice was a payment for sin, and that's been done for us. That's been done forever for us. That's a wow moment, right? I mean, you can say amen if you want to. I don't mind. I like it. Amen. That's a wow moment. Completely done. I never have to worry about trying to pay for my sin because it's already been paid for. So this sacrifice is talking about sacrificing your body to serve God, to do good works for him with. 
And so the first thing he says when he comes to that is, it's an action that you choose. The Greek word here was described of a priest that would take the offering and place it on the altar. And that's what he's using there. This, it's a Greek word that I can't pronounce very well. But that's what it meant. It was an imperative. You know, Paul's not saying, maybe if you want to, you could, put, you could sacrifice your body as a living sacrifice. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Maybe if you want to. With apostolic authority and because of the inspiration of Scripture, this is a command from God. But the neat part about God's commands is they're never bad. And a lot of times teenagers think, oh, I don't want to give my life to God. I'll be miserable. I don't know why we think that. It's kind of like when you tell your child not to touch the stove. Are you being a mean person? You tell the child, don't touch the stove. Oh, you're so mean. No. You're saying, I, I care for you, and I want to make you happy, and I want you to be well. And that's what God's doing here. His commands are not bad. They're always proof of his love and his care for you. The idea of a sacrifice was very familiar to these Christians because they had just come out of Judaism before Christ died where they did sacrifices. So this was familiar to them. The Old Testament was full of commands and rituals and how to make a sacrifice. The New, to New Testament shows us how to be a sacrifice. Does the life you live show people that you're a living sacrifice? When I wrote that question down, I thought, Joan, you've got to answer that question too. Does the life I live show people that I'm a living sacrifice? When I was a pastor's wife, I popped by the church one day, and there was an elder lady, lady there cleaning the church. And I was just like, wow, what, you know, thank you so much for your sacrifice. And she looked at me with this beautiful smile, and she said, this isn't a sacrifice. I love doing this. I've never forgotten that. Like, she was joyfully serving the Lord. A sacrifice was not a, oh, I guess I better make the sacrifice thing to her. Maybe by now you're thinking that sacrifice does not sound like a good thing. I don't want to sacrifice. Almost every commentary I read gave this illustration from David Livingston, who was a missionary to Africa. And he said this, he wrote this. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. And get this, can that be called the sacrifice, which is simply acknowledging a great debt we owe to our God, which we can never repay? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety and sickness and suffering and danger and foregoing the common conveniences of this life, these may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All of these are nothing compared with the glory which shall later be revealed in and through us. And he says, I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk. When we remember the great sacrifice which he made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. The next word there is holy. An object is holy if it's set apart for God for his use. So that's what they would do in the Old Testament. They would consecrate something to his use and it went into the temple. So when he says holy, he's saying, I want you to be a living sacrifice set apart for me. I can, when you give your life to God, he gets to call the shots. And if he wants to make changes in your life, as Desiree said, that's his privilege. He, he changed my life completely when he brought me from Canada down to the USA. It was a whole different world. It was a whole different job. It was a whole different people. It was a different country. But why could he do that and it's okay? Because when I was 16, I gave my life to him. Now, I have to admit, there's been a few times that I've slid off the altar and had to get back on the altar. 
So an object is holy if it's set apart for God. So you are holy if you have set your life apart for God. And then acceptable to God. If it's, if it's living, which a living sacrifice presumes that you're saved, because you can't be a living sacrifice unless you're alive spiritually. So if it's living, you're saved. And if it's holy, you're consecrated, then it's acceptable to God. And do you know that the Greek word here, acceptable, means pleasing I found that fascinating. I can be pleasing to the God of the universe who needs no one. He doesn't need us. Have you ever had someone be pleased with you? Maybe they get that extra little smile or they tell somebody something nice that you did or you're just like you delighted them. You can do that for God. I can do that for God, the God of the universe? Yes, you can, and this is one of the ways you do it. And next is reasonable. So you're holy, you're acceptable, and this, he says, is your reasonable service. If you grasp the enormity of what God has done for us, in other words, his mercies, we may well say something like, well, duh, of course I'm going to give my life to Christ. Of course I'm going to be a living sacrifice. Because that word there means logical. Once you grasp the mercies of God, this living sacrifice is like, well, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I? He's been merciful to me. I remember being afraid to give my life to God when I was 16. This was right before I got saved. Because I thought he might make me marry a pastor or be a missionary. <laughs> now, I don't know why that thought popped into my head, but I wrestled with that. And I was like, oh. I don't want to give my life to God because that's what he'll do. And then one night, full moon reminded me of that. It was a full moon on the way home one night, and I looked up at that moon and I thought, the God who holds that moon up there wants me to give my life to him? How can I go wrong with that? And that's the night I knelt by my bed and told God he could have my life completely. Sure enough, I married a pastor. <laughs> but the neat part was I loved it. What I thought God was going to make me so miserable doing, I absolutely loved it. And you're not going to believe this. I cried when I had to leave it. I cried all the way down the road from Canada to the U.S. I'm not a pastor's wife anymore. It's as a side note. I found out I can do everything I did as a pastor's wife. I can do it in my church. I can greet visitors. I can counsel people. I can help people be loved. I can, I can do that. You don't have to be a pastor's wife. So... God knows better than you do what will make you happy. Do you trust him? Picture your, yourself standing on the edge of a field. It's a beautiful field full of flowers and trees and butterflies and birds and sunshine. And that's your life. You're going to cross that field and that's your life. But in the field, there's also a whole lot of landmines. And you don't know where they are. So you're standing there at the edge of the field like, i got to cross this field, and I don't know where the landmines are. And what if someone stepped up beside you and said, I know where they all are. You stick by me, and I'll show you where they are, and I'll guide you around them, and it won't blow you up. That's what God's doing for us. God's saying, you can give your life to me, and I'll guide you through life. I'll give you wisdom in your choices. I'll give you mercy when you need it. I'll give you grace when you need it. Sometimes we look at God and we say, no, no, I got this. 
I'm good. Or we say, well, I'm not so sure you'll make me happy. That's what I thought as a teenager. I'm not so sure you're going to make me happy. Oh, how silly is that? Or sometimes we just flat out say, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. This pastor who talked about the glorious, great God that we serve, and then he looked at all those kids at faith, and he said, we should run to a God like this. Oh, that just thrilled my soul. Yes, we should run to a God like this. Don't let Satan tell you, oh, he won't make me happy. Or I might have to be a pastor's wife, because if you do, you'll love it. Right? It doesn't matter what you do when you walk with God. He's the one that makes you happy. It's not Paul saying in prison. We're going to look at that tomorrow, in the second session tomorrow. How could he sit in prison with his back bleeding and sing praises to God? That's impossible. Yes, it is. But he had Jesus Christ inside of him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't let Satan tell you, oh, if I surrender everything to God, I'll be miserable. That one little part of your life that you're not willing to give up, that's the devil telling you that. Give it up to God and you watch what joy you have. The, the Greek word there, your reasonable service, it meant worship, like service like worship. If your unsaved neighbor popped over to your house and said, you say you're a Christian, how, what do you, how, what do, how do you worship? What does worship mean to you? What would you tell her? I have an unsaved neighbor that I've been talking to a lot and getting to know her, and I just, she's the best neighbor, she's lots of fun, and but if she asked me that, what would I tell her? Well, this is one thing you could tell her. This is worship. I give my life to God and let him run it and let him use it. That's how I worship. So you present your body a living sacrifice, a reasonable service, and you tell God that he can own you. And you are delighted to have him do it because you love him and you're grateful for his mercies. Now, maybe this isn't true of you. You're sitting there saying, this isn't true of me. You know what you can do? You can say, God, I want this to be true of me. Help this to be true of me. God loves those kind of prayers. Do you, when my little kids, when I had little kids and they'd say, Mom, can you help me be good? Oh, well, yes, absolutely. Can you help me do something good? You know, I was there. I was for that. And God is too. So we've, we've seen we need to present our bodies, a living sacrifice. It's a reasonable service. It's like a logical thing, a duh, of course, thing. Let's do this. Um, and then our second point is going to be renew your mind. There's two things to this renewing your mind. There's the negative, the don't part, and then there's the positive, the do part. So the first part is do not be conformed to this world. And then we're going to go later to the be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't be conformed to this world. There always has been and always will be pressure to adopt the beliefs of this age. You say, well, back in the day, it wasn't, there always has been and there always will be pressure to adopt the beliefs of this age. I want to just take you to a couple of verses just to show you this, because I don't think we realize how real it is. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 2.6. There's just going to be some little examples of, I've got to find 1 Corinthians here. 1 Corinthians 2.6. And he says, Paul says to these uh, Christians here, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God, 
So there is a wisdom of this age that you need to be aware of and watch out for. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Oh, I'm still in 1 Corinthians, and that verse wasn't making sense. <laughs> So starting in verse 3, because it's the beginning of the sentence, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. You see that? The God of this age can blind your minds. We need to be careful and be watching for this. Um, Galatians 1, 4. If you don't want to turn there, I'll just read them out loud to you. But you're seeing this over and over and over in the Bible, Galatians 1, 4, um, starting in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Are you seeing that over and over again? You will be pressured to conform to this world. And a lot of it will be in philosophies and ideals, and Satan will try to distort whatever God loves. Just look at marriage. God loves marriage. Satan tries to distort it. God loves children. Satan tries to distort that. God loves giving. God loves serving. God's view of sexuality. Isn't Satan trying to distort that, destroy that? God's view of love. Are you watching for his lies and his distortions? And can you counteract them with scripture? Once in a while, our family would just hang out downstairs with some popcorn and watch a movie. And my kids hated this, but in the movie, whenever there was something, I'd be, ah, bad philosophy, I'd say. Oh, that was a bad philosophy. Like, Mom, you're ruining the movie. <laughs> I kind of was, actually. <laughs> but I wanted them to be, on, be aware, even when you're sitting and relaxed and kind of just vegging, you still have to be aware and watching for the philosophies and the... And the ideals and views of this world that want to creep their way in. You know, Satan never jumps out in front of you. Here I am, I have a lie for you. He sneaks around and he goes around and comes in the back door and just gives you a little, boy, that fly. <laughs> he just gives you a little, just little bit of mistruth here and a little bit there. And, he, you know, he, he's not bold with it because he wants you to be deceived. So... Renew your mind, and as you renew your mind, you will spot those things. Um, if you're tired of a rules-oriented, duty-driven Christianity, renew your mind and start doing what you love. Because with a renewed mind, you'll love to do what's right, and if you love to do what's right, you'll be doing what you love to do. Did that make sense? It did to me, but <laughs> as I said it, I thought, oh, I don't know if that made sense or not. But renew your mind and you won't be like, oh, I gotta obey God and all these rules and I gotta, you know, all the. It won't be like that. It'll be like, I love God and I love doing what He asked me to do because I love Him. So if you renew your mind, it'll make your Christian life a whole lot more fun. And then the next one is the positive part of it be transformed. This Greek word is used in Mark 9.2 to talk about, guess what, the transfiguration of Jesus. It's the same word, to be transformed. And then in 2 Corinthians, it's also there. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. How do you get that transformation? By renewing your mind. 
I was talking to a friend a couple days ago who said, whenever I'm by myself, she said, I just, I feel those thoughts and those doubts and those fears coming in. So she told me that her husband bought her a pair of wireless earbuds, and now she listens to podcasts and things like that when she's alone, so she doesn't have those terrible thoughts crowding in. Isn't that a great idea? That's what renewing your mind is all about. That's how you renew your mind. I was trying to think of an example of what a renewed mind would look like. If you wake up on Sunday morning and you say, well, I guess I better go to church because that's what Christians do, what if instead you thought of something like this? You woke up Sunday morning and you said, Almighty God, ruler of the universe, today I want church to be about you. I want to worship you, present my body as a living sacrifice to you, have my mind engaged in meditating on you, sing to you, rejoice in you, or whatever else you want to say. Wouldn't Sunday morning be different? What if everyone came to church with that mindset? Wouldn't that be cool? Just think what our church services would be like. That would be awesome. I came across years ago something that... Um, Paul Tripp had wrote called You Talk to Yourself. And it was so right where I am that I took, I copied, photocopied it out and stuck it in my Bible. And I brought it along tonight because I read it to myself a lot. And he said, you talk to yourself. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. And this is me. Like I go to bed at night and I'm just, rim, 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 stuff's going on up there. You are in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul every moment of every day. Isn't that true? You get out of bed in the morning, the first thing you're thinking, okay, what do I got to do today? What do I got to get done? Oh, it's a cloudy day. Oh, you know what? I don't like cloudy days. They make me feel sad. And you know, you're talking to yourself, on and on and on. So you interpret and organize and analyze what's going on inside and outside of you. You talk to yourself about the past. You talk to yourself about the future. And you talk to yourself about what you're experiencing right now. You often don't even realize you're saying these things to yourself, but you are. You're saying things that shape your desires and your actions and your theology. What are you saying to you? What are you saying to you about God and your circumstances? Do your words stimulate faith, hope, and courage? Or does your talk stimulate doubt and discouragement and fear? I've been there. Do you remind yourself that God is near, or do you say, he must not be near because with my circumstances, there's no way God's near. Here's the question. How wholesome and faith-driven and Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with yourself every day? Do you remind yourself of your need and point yourself once again to the beauty of God's grace? Do you tell yourself to run to him in those moments when you feel like running from him? No one influences you more because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. What will you say to you today? or tomorrow, or the next day. And that just, like, I have a very busy mind, and it just goes and goes and goes, and it's talking all the time. And I thought, oh, I want it to be wholesome. I want to renew my mind so that all those things I'm saying to myself aren't not God's ideas. I want to say to myself God's ideas, God's philosophies. God, I want to renew my mind. Not this last summer, but summer of 2021, our pastor took us through Psalms 42. And as I went through Psalms 42, I was like, that is totally me. So I want to go to Psalms 42 and help you see how David renewed his mind. Psalms 42. 
So he's discouraged, this psalmist is here, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. And he says in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. So that just tells you that I'm crying day and night. He's probably down. He's probably discouraged. He's like, oh, I'm crying all the time. Life is pretty rough. I love reading the Psalms because they're so like my personality. He's got a lot of emotion in there. So he's discouraged. He has tears. His enemies lie to him in the next part of that verse and say, where is your God? I thought, you, I thought you had a God. Where is he right now? You don't look so great right now. Where's your God? And that's discouraging to him too. And he remembers when things were better. He says, I remember these things and I pour out my soul within me. I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God and with a voice of joy and praise and with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. He said, there used to be better days. His soul was cast down because he says in verse 5, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? He's admitting his soul is cast down and there's upset and turmoil there. And Pastor Lance said it was just this raw, honest pouring out of David's heart. He gave God all of it. But then what did he do? He renewed his mind and he said, Oh, soul, you don't have to be cast down, and my, you don't have, I don't have to be disquieted. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his, con help of his countenance. And then he went on, Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Up in verse 7, he says, All your waves and billows have gone over me. And what does he do in verse 8? Renews his mind again. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. And he says in verse 9, I will say to God, my rock. Isn't that wonderful? He's talking to himself. Yes, I have this anguish, and yes, my enemies are trying to kill me, and yes, my life stinks right now, but I'm going to go run into God with this. So this is what renewing your mind looks like. And then in verse 10, he said, my enemies reproach me, and they say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? All day long. He's like, this just goes on and on and on. Is that it? Does he fall apart right there and say, that's it, I quit? No, what does he do? He renews his mind again. Um, verse 11, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance in my God. You see what it looks like to renew your mind? It isn't a Pollyanna thing like, well, well somebody else got it worse than I do, so I'm okay. It's, it's, it's honestly admitting the things in your life that are going wrong, but then taking yourself and putting yourself back in front of God and renewing your mind. I want to give you a couple practical tips to help you. I think I put simple there, but these actually aren't simple, so I changed it to practical. The first one is to recognize the need to renew your mind. And then decide, do I care? Now, sometimes we hear a sermon like this, and we're like, yeah, that's good. Do I care? Do you care? If you renew your mind? That's the first thing. How important is this to you? If it's not important to you, you won't do it. And then recognize your tendency to think negative thoughts and confess it to God. Maybe you're thinking, I'm negative because my life is hard. Well, maybe your life is harder than it needs to be because you're negative. Some of us struggle with negativity a little more than others do. But we all can struggle with it. Recognize the tendency to think negatively about other ladies, about your church, about your husband, about your family, 
about your finances, about your health, even the weather. We can think negatively about the weather. All of these negative thoughts, they seem small sometimes, but they can all be put at the altar and we can renew our mind. When you're thinking negative thoughts about other ladies, you can say, God, forgive me, this is a sister in Christ. And I want to be a loving sister in Christ. When you're thinking negative thoughts about your finances, say, God, I know you've given me everything I need right now for my happiness. When you're thinking negative thoughts about your husband, you can go to God and say, God, forgive me. Help me to think positive thoughts about my husband. You can renew your mind and then pray for his help. I'm not a great theologian, and I can't debate the finer points of theology with you. But this one thing I know, when you cry out to your God, he answers every single time. If you cry out to your God, he answers every single time. You can pray for his help for these things. God, I know I need to renew my mind, and I've been so bad at it. Can you help me? And then replace negative thought with, thoughts with God's thoughts which we already talked about that. Memorize scripture. I kind of hesitated to put this in because this is honestly my Achilles heel. January 1st, I always start all over again. I am going to do better this year. And I make it to February or March, and then I fall off the wagon, and then I have to get up again, and then I have to get up again, and then I have to get up again. And, but I was telling some ladies a while ago, if you, if you decided I'm going to memorize Psalms 119, how many verses was in there? 170. That's a lot of verses. But if you memorized five of them, you're farther ahead than if you didn't start at all, right? So keep, keep at the memorizing thing. And if you think of it, pray for me with the memorizing thing. Study your Bible. What you feed your mind becomes your mindset. Now, do I have to be done at nine, Sandy? Do you say nine? I'm, I'll go faster. <laughs> Um, you know you need to study your Bible. So let's just go on. Take a social media break, maybe. That would be a good idea. And I don't have this in there, but I want to add in there, read good books. You have a treasure trove over there in that bookstore. There are good books there for you to read. I want you to read your Bible first. Every time, read your Bible first. Study your Bible. But read good books, too. It's... I love to read, and I love, I take seminary classes because I'm not really smart, but I learn a lot. And I figure if I learn half of what they're giving us, I have half more than I had before. And it pricks your thinking. You're like, oh, I never thought about that before. I'll go home and say to my husband, did you ever think? Yeah, yeah, he already knew that. But, <laughs> but it was new to me, and I was all excited over it. So that's why I read, because things, they get, they get you excited, and they pick up your thinking, and you're like, whoa, okay. So read good books. Go over to that bookstore and buy a book. I'm going to go buy one, too, I think, just because I love to buy books. <laughs> Jim said they had a guy one time, an old Scottish guy, and he said, we have to become, we've become great buyers of books. We need to become great readers of books. <laughs> if I love to buy a book. And then the last thing is remember this. There's grace. You know, all of this stuff we talked about, doesn't, it's not overnight. You're not going to turn into the perfect Christian overnight. But God's grace is limitless. And when I fall, I fail him, and I sin, and I ask for his forgiveness, this is what I love about God. He doesn't say, okay, you, you sit over there till I know for sure you're sorry. 
As soon as I tell God, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? He brings me right in next to him again, and I'm his beloved daughter, right? Fellowship with him. I love that about God. His mercies are new every morning. So the result is that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I studied that for a long time, and I could not come up with what does that exactly mean? And then I read an, a commentator, John MacArthur, said, this is not prove in the sense that you validate God. You show the world the approved will of God by doing it. It's not to test and see if God's will is good or bad or right or wrong. It's always good. It's always right. But you put it on display when you do this. So A is display the will of God, and B is kind of long. You can shorten it. Living, you become living proof that a sacrificed body and a transformed mind are beautiful and good. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, none of this makes sense to me because I have never accepted God's gift of salvation. This would be a perfect night to do that. Perfect night to say, oh, God, you've done so much for me. I want to accept your gift of salvation. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe you've never got on that altar and said, God, I give everything to you. Or maybe there's a little thing in your life that you're holding on to. And you say, well, I'm almost all on the altar, but I have my foot sticking out. This would be a great night for you to say, I'm going to put my all on that altar. When God speaks to you, you have a crisis of belief at that point. God's asking you to do something, and you have to say, do I trust him enough? Do I believe him enough to do this? So as you're faced tonight with whatever God put on your heart, maybe you look at your life and you say, I am completely surrendered to God as much as I know how to be, and I love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, this would be a good time for you to just tell God, I am so glad you saved me. So glad you chose me before the foundation of the world. So glad I get to be your child. So glad for your mercies that are new every morning. This would be a good time for that. What I want to do is just take a couple minutes of prayer, and I'll just be very quiet. We don't need any music or anything, but I think sometimes we come to a crisis of belief, and we don't make a decision, and then we get up and we walk out, and then life just kind of goes on. So I'm going to give you a few moments of silence just for you to... And even if you want to write a little note to yourself on there, on your paper or something like that, and just say, this is what I'm going to do. Or if it's too personal, don't do it. But just want to give you a couple of minutes. If God has said anything to you that he wants you to surrender to him, or if he wants you to renew your mind and you haven't been doing that, then this would be your opportunity to talk to him about that. So I'll give you a couple minutes of silence, and then I'll pray and close this tonight. Heavenly Father, God, we're so grateful for your mercies. So grateful for your word that shows us what a good God you are. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you and doesn't know the joy it is to know you, I pray that you would bring them to you tonight. That before they go to sleep, they might just kneel by their bed and say, God, thank you for your gift. I accept. I give my life to you. God, I just know you'll fill them with joy. Lord, if there's anybody else here who has taken something off that altar and they're holding on to it and they don't want to give it up, I pray that tonight would be the night they just say, God, you can have it. I want to be all yours. You're so good. And then for those who are completely on that altar and are renewing their mind, I pray that you would just bless them, Lord. Help them to be 
a help to others. Um, help us to be thankful. And God, I just want to thank you again for your great love for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.